We Are Family. This is the series that we're in right now. And we've talked about God being our Father. And we've talked about the church being the bride of Christ. And we have talked about how we are brothers and sisters. But is that where family ends? Is that where our responsibility ends? Is it just us? Is it just which those of us that live in the house, so to speak? No, it can't be because Jesus said and affirmed many, many times that the greatest commandments are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one, and this is so important, is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so we have to be good neighbors. But how do we do that? Well, I want to tell you a story, if I can. I guess you don't have a choice. <laughs> uh, it's about my friend Anthony. Anthony served in the military. He actually did two tours in the military um, and came home recently. He had a difficult time transitioning home. Right before, right before he left, uh, he married his high school sweetheart. They wanted to get married before, before he went, um, but it didn't, it didn't go very well. And so over the four years um, that he was uh, in the military, away from home, things kept getting more and more strained between he and his wife. Now, to complicate things, after being married a year, he came back for a short period of time, and, um, and she ended up uh, getting pregnant. So um, they had a little daughter together, and when he finally came home, she was three years old. But it was really, really hard for him because he didn't feel like he knew her, and she certainly didn't know him other than just pictures. And so with that and the struggle that he had with his wife, when he came home, he was already struggling with transitioning back into civilian life. Uh, just that alone is enough, but uh, he felt like a stranger in his own house too. He had a hard time when he got out finding work, and that put a huge financial strain on the family. Um, so he was able to find a job. Thankfully, he got a job working in the lumberyard at, at Lowe's, um, but it wasn't enough to cover all of their bills, and so his wife had to go get a job too. Um, she got a job at a local barbecue restaurant, and she would work the breakfast shift, so she had to go in real early in the morning to wait tables. Um, but again, that still, it just barely made ends meet, and so they, they found themselves fighting about money all the time. Because there either wasn't enough or they couldn't agree on how to spend it when they did have it. They just weren't on the same page. He felt like a stranger and he felt he was starting to feel very worthless and alone because of all of that. Um, because of their schedule, so that he had this daughter who wasn't, she wasn't old enough to go um, to school yet and they couldn't afford preschool. And so um, his mother-in-law, Mama, had agreed to um, watch his little daughter. But in the mornings, his wife was gone so early to work that he had to get her up and get her ready and take her to mama's house, and then he would go uh, then to work after that. Well, one morning, um, he woke up, wife was already gone, and um, he was carrying his daughter out. And she said that she was starting to feel a little bit sick, um, but he didn't pay it too much attention. He had to get her, get her to, to mama's house. And, um, but they were, he's carrying her to the car, and she gets sick everywhere, like hair, you know, the, the, whole, the whole nine yards. And there's nothing he can do. He obviously can't take her like that. And so he he's, uh, takes her back into the house, gets her in the bathtub, gets her all cleaned up, washed up as fast as he possibly can, changes her clothes, changes his clothes, finally gets back out to the car, but now he's running 15 minutes late. 
So he races over to uh, his mother-in-law's house, drops his daughter off, gets back in the car, flies towards Lowe's, and he's so angry at this point, he's so frustrated at this point that he's not even thinking clearly. So as he's driving, he's just trying to get there as fast as possible, and he doesn't even see the cop until the blue lights are behind him. Doesn't even know where he came from. So now he's 30 minutes late to work with a ticket in the glove box on top of it. So he pulls into, he pulls into the parking lot. He goes up to the, the pickup door, you know, the, the, the contractor's door. He goes up to that door, and his boss is standing right at the pro sales desk. Looks at him, looks at his watch. He says, Anthony, you're late. It's not the first time. And Anthony just poured it out, just everything. Like, I'm, you, you got to help me. I'm sorry. My daughter got sick. I was racing. I got, a, I got a ticket on the way in, and I'm struggling transition. My wife and I are fighting. He just like starts just like, you know, uh, unloading on his boss. He gets to the end of the conversation, looks back. He's hoping to get a little bit of grace, and his boss looks back at him and says, I'm sorry, Anthony. It's, it's been too many times, and we need stable people. We need people we can count on here. And so I need you to clean out your locker. So he goes and he gets stuff and he goes out and he sits in his truck. And as he sits in his truck, all he can think about is the ticket that's in his glove box and how he's going to pay it, let alone the payment he has on his truck, let alone his rent payment, let alone food. And he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know, he doesn't even know where to go. And and he doesn't want to go home because he doesn't want to sit there by himself. And he certainly doesn't want to be there when his wife comes home because he knows that's just going to blow up into a whole thing. It's going to, and that might be the straw that breaks the camel's back. And so he just starts driving. He pulls out of the parking lot and he heads down in his street. He goes under 85 and he decides, you know what I can do? I'll just go sit at a coffee shop for a few minutes. So he goes and he drives downtown. He goes to Coco Java, if you've ever been there. It's one of my favorite offices now. Um, and uh, he, he goes and he sits down in the corner. And he's fighting back tears the best he can, but he's not winning. And he's just thinking about everything that's going wrong and how everything seems to be collapsing. And he buries his, his face in his hands. And he starts to, to cry, again, trying to hold it back, but he can't. He looks up, and, and as he looks up, he sees in line at the coffee shop a guy he knows. It only takes him a second to figure out who it is. It's the pastor of the church that he and his wife have been going to since he got back. And he makes eye contact with him. It's one of those moments where you see each other and you know you saw each other, right? Um, tears are coming down his face, but the pastor looks away really quick. You know that, oh, I didn't see you thing, that game we play when we see people that we don't want to see. And looks away, takes his coffee, and walks out. He couldn't believe it. And he just, he didn't know who to talk to. He didn't know what to do. He didn't even know where to go. But it was, he was getting hungry. It was, it was about lunchtime. He'd been there for a while. He had a coffee that he hadn't touched. But it was about lunchtime, and he thought maybe a little nutritional therapy would do me good. And so he walks up the street to Haps for a chili cheeseburger and a cheer wine and a glass bottle. And um, so he walks up and he gets in line. The line's kind of wrapped down Main Street as it often is. And um, he stands in line. He's waiting, he's waiting, and he's waiting, thinking about everything. And all of a sudden he realizes, I don't have any cash. I can't even buy a hamburger. 
And so he steps out of line, apologizes to the people that are around him. He finds a park bench, and he sits down, and he just can't take it anymore. And so he just starts bawling. And at some point, he's crying, and he can't really see or think. He realizes somebody has sat down next to him. And he looks up, and through his clouded, tear-filled eyes, he feels like he recognizes this person, but he can't quite place him. And the guy sitting next to him says, what's wrong? And he, he doesn't know if he knows this guy or not, but it just all comes out. Everything, transitioning, not being able to make ends meet, is feeling estranged from his wife and his daughter doesn't even know him. And, and, and he can't even buy a hamburger, for goodness sakes. And he just dumps everything on this guy who's sitting next to him. And he's, he lays it all out there and then he says, I, I'm sorry, I feel like I know you. <laughs> but I just can't place you, and I'm sorry that I just dropped all that on you. And the guy looks back at him and says, oh, you do know me. My name's Tim, and we went to high school together. We haven't seen each other in four or five years. He said, you weren't very nice to me then, honestly. <laughs> Anthony said, well, I wasn't nice to a lot of people. Tim said, that's okay. Um, he said, Anthony, I want to help. There's a few things that I want to do. He said, Here's, let, me, let me tell you what's happened to me over the last four or five years. He said, I came out of high school and started working at a construction business and decided maybe I could do this on my own. So I started my own, started my own construction business. And it took off and it did really, really well. I mean, really well. But I was working late hours and long days and my wife felt the brunt of that. He said, me and my wife came to the point where we were we were deciding whether or not we were going to get divorced. But somebody gave us a recommendation to go see a counselor, and we did. And that counselor helped us to turn things around. And now we've got a good balance, and things are really great in our life. The business is still going really well, um, and my wife and I are doing really well. And Tim looked back at Anthony and he said, I want to do three things for you. Okay. He said, the first thing I want to do is buy you lunch, because <laughs> that's why I'm here too. I don't know if you can be at Haps and not eat. I think you have to. I think it's a rule. Um, he said, the first thing I want to do is I want to buy you lunch. He said, the second thing I want to do is give you a job if you, if you want it on one of my crews, and you can start tomorrow. He said, the third thing I want to do is I want to pay for you to see the counselor that me and my wife saw. And all of a sudden, everything changed for Anthony. Everything changed. So he came in contact with three people that day, his boss, the pastor, and Tim. So I ask you, which of these three was a neighbor to Anthony? I think we know the answer to that question, right? So Jesus one day was asked, Jesus, who is my neighbor? I want to read that to you. It's in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, um, starting in verse 25, it says, And behold, a lawyer stood up 
to put him to the test, putting Jesus to the test. Now, we don't know whether this was a malicious thing or not. It doesn't really matter. Um, he stood up to test and ask Jesus a question. People often did this with, with teachers at the time. He said, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what's written in the law? Jesus threw it back on him, a technique that Jesus used often. People would ask a question and Jesus would ask it right back. How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he, this is Jesus, said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. But he couldn't leave it there, right? But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You see, the Jews at this time, um, you had basically three groups, and there was a little bit of crossover here and there, but you had Jews, you had Gentiles, you had Samaritans, considered three different categories of people. Jews and Samaritans did not get along, um, and so the Jews were not required or were not obligated to help a Samaritan who was in need. In fact, in the law, uh, a Jewish person killing another Jewish person carried with it the death penalty. But if a Jewish person killed a Samaritan, that would not carry the death penalty. So they basically considered them a different class of people. And legally, if you saw a Samaritan who was in need, you would not be obligated to help them. So it was a common understanding for Jews that my neighbor, when the scripture says my neighbor, because they all knew this law, they all knew this was, this was the great commandments, my neighbor is other Jews. My neighbor is people who are like me. And now this guy had a theory that maybe Jesus didn't feel the same way because of the way he'd been teaching and the way he'd been living. But he thought maybe right now, I'm, I'm assuming a bit into his thought process here, maybe right now Jesus, Jesus might agree that the only Jews are my neighbor because in Luke chapter 9, just a few verses before this, Jesus was going to go to a Samaritan town and he sent his disciples ahead to prepare the way. And when his disciples got there, the Samaritan town rejected him and said, no, we don't want Jesus here. And so maybe this lawyer was thinking, hey, Jesus just got rejected by a bunch of Samaritans, so maybe he'll back down on this teaching he's been, been saying about how God loves everyone. And so he looks for an inn. He says, Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus responds with a story, just like the one you just heard. Now, Anthony's not a real person, okay? But there are plenty of Anthonys around us. So Jesus tells a story of a man who is traveling to Jerusalem, and on the way, he got attacked. He got attacked, he got robbed, and he got beaten within an inch of his life, and he's laying by the side of the road. This is a Jewish man, laying by the side of the road, struggling for his life, and along comes a priest, a pastor, and he sees, he's going to Jerusalem, which means he's, he's probably going for some religious ceremonies. I mean, he's got church on the brain, and he sees this Jewish man beaten by the side of the road, and the scripture says he passes by, does nothing about it. Next along comes a Levite. Now, Levites, for modern terminology, would be similar to a worship leader that we have today. And so a, a Levite comes along, sees the same man by the side of the road. I believe it says he goes over and looks at him. So it's not like he didn't see him. 
He didn't just dart his, he didn't, you can't say that he didn't see him. He did the old dart away, okay, where you make eye contact, but then look away. And he passed by as well. But then along came a Samaritan. And he said, when the Samaritan saw him, he had compassion on him. And he took and he put wine on his wounds. That would have been an antiseptic. And he put oil on his wounds, which would have been a salve to help ease the pain. Put him on his own donkey, took him to a local inn, left him there, paid the innkeeper some money, and then said, I'll be back in a couple days. And if I, if I owe you anything more, I'll pay it when I come back. And then Jesus finishes and says this in Luke chapter 10, verses 36 to 37. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? And the lawyer answers, he said, the one who showed him mercy. I want you to notice something. He couldn't say the Samaritan. He wouldn't say the Samaritan. He said the one who showed him mercy. He's trying to get out of what Jesus is getting at. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So what's Jesus' answer to the question then? If if the lawyer came up and said, Jesus, who is my neighbor? How did Jesus answer that question? Well, the simplest response would be to say, well, he said anybody, right? Not just Samaritan or Gentile or Jew, or it doesn't, doesn't matter that your neighbor is literally anybody who's right by you, anybody who's near you, anybody who is around you who needs help, that Jesus would be saying, well, everybody's your neighbor. But, and, and, and that's true. But that's, I don't think that's actually what Jesus is saying. I don't think that's quite the point. It's close, but not quite there. Because after this man asked this question and Jesus tells a story, Jesus asks him a question back. And Jesus' question isn't, who's your neighbor? The man asks, the lawyer asks, who is my neighbor? But Jesus asks, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor? Not who is my neighbor, but who proved to be a neighbor. Caring for people is not nearly as much about who they are as it is about who you are. Because if you choose to be a neighbor, it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter if you know them or you don't know them. It doesn't matter if they live near you or don't. It doesn't matter if they have the same belief system that you have. It doesn't matter whether they're, they're of the same race or the same ethnicity or the same nationality. It doesn't matter because you are choosing to be a neighbor rather than worrying about who your neighbor is. That you are going to be neighborly. So what I want to do, um, A, I want to encourage you to make the decision personally to be a neighbor to people who are around you, that even when people look at you, they think of you that way. But I want to give you five things, five ways to be a neighbor uh, that we see from the Samaritan. And I'm not going to read the scripture, but I'll tell you where the verses are so that you can um, check those and look at them later if you'd like to. Five ways to be a neighbor. The first thing 
is to have compassion. I, I honestly think this is the hardest of all of the five. And I believe that our culture, even the American dream and the American society, has calloused us to the needs of people around us. And we have a tendency, we have, we have this weird tendency to look at people in other countries and have compassion on them, but not to have compassion on people here. And it should be both. And I don't know, I don't, I was thinking about it this weekend, I was trying to work it out and I couldn't quite get there to figure out why that is. Maybe you have a good theory, but um, maybe it's the American dream. Maybe it's the feeling that we have the feeling that everybody can make it ahead if they, if they try hard enough. And I'll tell you from meeting people and knowing people, it's not true. It's not true. That there are things that happen in life that are completely outside of our control and we live in a broken system. And just because someone's down, it is not necessarily their fault. And so we have to have compassion that when we look at people, we care about them, that we feel something when we see someone's in need. And that compassion is something that that ignites us and motivates us to action. So the first thing, we have to have compassion. The second thing is to triage injury. Triage injury. All right, when somebody is going through something difficult, so let's say that, let's say uh, you, you, you have a friend, she's a woman who's in an abusive relationship with, your husband, or with her husband, all right? First thing you got to do is get her out of there, right? The, the first thing that you have to do is somehow triage the, the issue. You got somebody who is, um, they just lost their job, or they lost their job a while ago, and they're, now they're really starting to feel the effects of it financially. Like, just buy them some groceries. It's not a long-term solution. It's a short-term solution, but you've got to do something. And so what the Samaritan did was he put oil and wine on the wounds. That was a temporary solution to get him, to get this man to the inn where he would really be taken care of. So you have to triage those injuries. The, the third thing to do, and this is verse 34, is find them help. Because the odds are, and this is, this is oftentimes what keeps us from helping people, is we don't feel like we can do everything they need to get them back on their feet or to help them. Well, no, of course you can't. Of course you can't. But other people can. There are people in organizations that are designed to help people who are struggling, that are, that are here for that purpose. And so sometimes the best thing you can do is to give someone a good referral. To say, hey, I want to help you right now, but let me put you in touch with my friend who has a whatever business, or he's, he's over HR at the hospital and maybe they got some jobs available, or just get them to somebody that's going to be able to help them long term. There are great organizations, nonprofit organizations that do this kind of thing. So you're trying to get them the long-term help that they need. I do this all the time, all right? I, I do this all the time. And, and I think sometimes people think that I'm like, like brushing them off, but I'm not. I'm getting them to someone who can actually help them <laughs> where I maybe can't. Like, so a lot of people come to me, and you might as well know this about me from the beginning, I am not a good counselor, okay? I know, everybody's like, well, you're a pastor, you're supposed to be, not necessarily, okay? I'm not a very good counselor. A, I'm a lot better when I have the opportunity to prepare what I'm going to say. In the moment, I'm just like, but I'm, but I don't know, I don't know what to say, you know, something awkward with my hands. Um, so I'm just not good, and I'm not trained as a counselor, but I know people who are, 
And so you're going to be in much better hands if I, if I get you connected to them than if, if we try to do that, because that's going to go poorly. So, um, but you need to get them help, long-term help, somewhere that they're going to uh, be able to, uh, to, to grow and to thrive. The fourth thing is to invest. All right, invest. Is that what it says? Be generous. I changed the wording. It's wrong in my notes. Um, uh, so be generous. If you have the ability to do it, if you recommend counseling for someone and that's going to cost something, if you can do it, pay for it. If you can do it, pay for it. Don't be afraid to sacrifice what you have for them. Don't be afraid to invite them into your house if they need somewhere to stay for a while. You can put terms and become a long-term issue. All right. Be generous, willing to share everything that you have. In, in Acts chapter 2, it talks about the first church, and that's what drew people into the church. It said that they, were, they weren't neglecting um, the teaching, and they were eating together and caring, and they were sharing everything that they had, and God added to their number daily those that were being saved. This is the way that people come into the family. It's not just big evangelistic events where someone gives the gospel and hundreds of people get saved. It's by being generous, by being open-handed with our life. And so be generous with them. And then the fifth thing is to follow up with them. Don't just let them go. As soon as you've got them to where what's going to help them long-term, don't just forget about them. Follow back up with them. Make sure they're doing well. See what they need. I'm willing to bet that all of you have someone in your life who's struggling right now. I mean, it might be you. I get that. Um, But we all have people around us that are struggling. The reason that we choose to be a neighbor the reason we do this is because Jesus did it for us. Because when, when we were beaten and we were bloody, we were by the side of the road. When we've been passed over by so many people, Jesus Christ stopped and sacrificed for us. He gave his life on the cross for us so that we could become a child of God. And so now we want to do the same thing for other people. So we sacrifice for them. We are generous to them. And um, so what I want to do is... I know a bunch of you are just insanely generous. Maybe some of you really haven't gotten into this much in your life. What I want to do is I want to seed that. I want to get it going. I want to get it started. I want to propel you forward. I want to give you an opportunity to be equipped to go and help someone today. So the white envelopes that you're all wondering about around you, grab one of those envelopes Go ahead and grab one. Oh, and there's invite cards there too. You can invite people to Easter if you want to. That'd be great. Um, so it says, take one, but do not open. Now, some of you are rebels and you, you like, maybe you didn't open it, but you like, you held it up to the light and you're checking the shape of it and you're trying to figure out based on the shape of it what it is. These are security envelopes. I chose those on purpose so that you <laughs> cheaters couldn't do that. Um, but take one of these envelopes um, and we're probably going to have some left over, so you can maybe take more than one by the time we're all said and done. Um, but go ahead and open it, everybody at the same time. All right, cool. Now, so in your envelope, you can see, is a $10 gift card to Food Line. All right, every single one of these envelopes has one in it. So... Um, if there are extras around you, let's make sure everybody gets one, first of all. Um, so if you don't have one, just jump up and grab one. Um, 
but if there's extra, you go ahead and take them. Here's the only, here, you're good. Um, this is, if you really, really need it, this is for you. But the intent of this gift card is for you to take this and you to take care of someone else. So you either, you can either give them this gift card or maybe you're sitting with your family and you pull them together. Maybe you know the same person and you want to help them um, and you want to give them this card. What I think would be even better is if you would go buy them some groceries with this and take the groceries to them. And maybe this would just be a starting point for you. Maybe you would take this and use this, but then you'd buy $20 more or $50 more or whatever and just go bless someone with it. Just think about someone in your life who has a need. Maybe they lost their job. Maybe they're struggling to transition. Maybe it's a single mom who's struggling to get by. Maybe it's a senior citizen who, who you know is on a fixed income and, is in, and having a hard time just putting food on the table. Bless them with it. Just bless them with it. And you, you do not have to tell them it's from Carolina Family Church because this is not a marketing thing for us. But I do, I do ask that when you bless them, whether you give them this card or take them some groceries or whatever it may be, when you do it, it is very important that they know that you are doing it because God loves them and he wants to use you to show them that. That's what's important. So take these, give them away, buy groceries, grab a few that are around you, whatever you want to do, and bless somebody with it. Be a neighbor. So it starts with compassion. So in just, in just a minute, I'm going to pray. And as I'm praying, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for all of these cards. I'm going to pray for the people that receive them. And as we're praying, I want you, first of all, I want you to be thinking about the love of God. <laughs> I want you to be thinking about how God has been generous with you. And if you've never received him as your savior, to take that step and do that today. Believe that Jesus Christ died and that he rose again and that you can have a new life with him. You can be forgiven of your sin. But then I want you to be praying as we're praying together for the person. And if you're not sure who it is, start praying and ask God to show you who it is. Maybe there isn't an individual in your life, although I'd be surprised if there wasn't, but if there, maybe there isn't an individual in your life that you can think of, but there are people who need, um, who need this. Think of the kids at Nazareth Children's Home who are struggling in the situations they're in. Um, think of people who are living in the shelter right now, that we, when we go and we pack bags of food for kids once a month, um, uh, we walk past folks who are homeless every single time we do that. We park in the upper lot at Rowan Health Ministries and we pass them sitting there, but there's somebody there. Um, there's somebody that can use it. So let's do that as we pray. But I, I want to remind you of something before we do. If you've never experienced a life of generosity and never chosen to be a neighbor, I'm telling you, there is nothing more fulfilling than that. There is nothing that will put more wind in your sails than when you're helping other people. Maybe, maybe you even, maybe you struggle with anxiety and depression like I do. And I'll tell you that there is nothing that will pull you out of anxiety or depression like taking your focus and putting it on someone else. And, and, and pouring yourself into someone else, it just fills you up. It's what, um, it's what Scripture's talking about in Isaiah 58. I just want to read this to you and then I'm going to pray. Isaiah 58, 10 through 11. It says, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, 
Then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Not that we need a selfish reason to be generous and be a neighbor, but I am telling you, it will lift you to a new level of existence, what you were created for to begin with. And so uh, let's pray. Let's pray for each other. Let's pray for everybody who's going to receive these. Let's pray uh, and thank God for our salvation. God, we come to you and, um, and first and foremost, thank you for who you are, that you are the God of creation, that higher and you are greater and there is no one like you and we get the opportunity to be your children. And so God, I I pray for anybody who hasn't made the decision yet to accept salvation through Jesus Christ, that they would do that now, that they would humble themselves before you, believe that you are God high above them, that they have failed you, that you offered them forgiveness through Jesus' death on the cross and shown your power through his resurrection on the third day, and that they can come to you right now, ask forgiveness, be washed clean of all of the shame and all of the guilt and the weight and the pain and the penalty of that sin, and they can stand before you completely open, looking at you, their God, and knowing there's nothing between us, that they can have a relationship with you now and forever. They've been washed clean. I pray they would make that decision today, that they would follow you with the rest of their life. And for so many of us that have made that decision, God, we want to be representatives of your son, Jesus Christ, here on earth. Jesus Christ was a neighbor to us. He gave himself for us. And so you have asked us to be a neighbor to those who are around us. Help us to do that. Fill us with compassion. Fill us with compassion for people who are hurt people who are by the side of the road, people who have been walked by and looked over. Fill us with the desire to help, to be a neighbor. Show us what we can do, the triage, the quick fix, the the thing we can do to help get them over the hump. Show us where we need to get them connected so that they can have long-term support. Free us from the chains of greed that hold on to what we have so that we can be open-handed to help people around us so that what we have would benefit a greater good than ourselves. God, I pray for every single person who's here who's going to take one of those cards that through the power of your spirit and your ability to speak directly to the human heart, that you would put a face in our mind, a family in our mind who needs help. That you would fill our heart with compassion for them. As if they were our own family. And that you would bless them as they take this little card or a couple cards or buy some whatever they do. Whatever you lead them to do, God, that as they give it, your love, your spirit, your power would flow into them and through them as they share your love. And they choose to be a neighbor. 
to those that are around them. God, I pray for everybody who's going to receive a card or groceries, that they would see, they would see you. For some of them that are going to, that are going to receive this blessing, God, they have, they have never seen you, or at least they don't think they have. They've never given you credit. Maybe they've blamed you their entire life. Maybe they're blaming you right now because they think that their, their situation is your fault. It's natural for us to do that. But God, I pray that in that moment, when they receive that card or those groceries or whatever, that they would see a little window, one glimpse of your love and your provision. It would open up something completely new in their life. I pray that these cards would not be an end, but that they would be a beginning, a new beginning. And that you would continue to draw us together and show us how to have compassion and how to be a neighbor. Jesus, thank you for the example that you set for us. Now help us, help us to do the same. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.